Welcome to the Men at Work podcast, episode number 20. I'm your host, Travis Streb. All right, today I've got Phil Grosh from PricewaterhouseCoopers and Karen Wen from Rogers Communications in Canada. And we are talking primarily about the Women in Leadership program at PricewaterhouseCoopers that they offer. It was a really good discussion. Um, Phil and Karen are both amazing guests. Karen was a participant in the Women in Leadership program a couple years ago. And Phil is the creator of the Women in Leadership program at PricewaterhouseCoopers. And we talked about this idea that, you know, you, why PwC created this program was really about talent. You know, and, and the most underrepresented part of their talent pool happened to be uh, women talked about this idea that you can't outsource uh, your inclusion or your um, talent programs. You've got to create them in-house. Talked about the realities of gender in the professional services realm. We talked about the history of corporations and the you know dominant male paradigm that we've been living in. We talked about the impact of the Women in Leadership program, you know, how it's impacted Karen, what the program is all about and how PwC has more or less made it an open source program so that other people, other organizations can take the model and try to recreate it. We talked about sponsorship, mentorship, coaching, the differences between those, which are really important, the tallest poppy syndrome, how to scale uh, these programs. So how do we scale these uh, inclusion and diversity programs in particular on gender? And then we got into a discussion about post Me Too and what that's meant for the workplace and how programs like the one that Phil's created and that Karen took part in are, are helping to push past that and to have a real conversation about human relationships as opposed to a conversation just about gender. So it's a really wonderful episode. I know you're going to take a lot from it. And if you want to know more about this program, I'll link everything up in the show notes. Let's dive into episode number 20. I mean, since you're the, the creator of, of this, this program, which I discovered, and uh, you created it of your own volition <laughs> some years ago. So Women in Leadership at, at PwC, maybe you could give us a bit of background on it um, and, and tell us how we, how we got to where we're at today, where it's a hugely successful program and you're involving organizations like, like Karen's who aren't, even, um, who aren't even at PwC. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks, Travis. So, you know, this journey started about seven years ago. And us, like most organizations, uh, were very aware of the fact that we hire uh, sort of about 50-50, some years uh, more than 50% women into PwC. Um, and as I started to dig into it, I realized that at the mid-career point, about seven to 10 years in, we started to lose top talent women. Um, you know, at, at significantly higher rates than men. And, and that's really what the genesis of the program was. So we had a number of programs in place. 
that were great, and uh, but they were what I would call tactical, and they weren't actually solving the crux of the issue, which is why are these top talent women leaving? You know, and as I talked to um, other corporations, and I also spoke to quite a few individuals who had left, and I started to realize that, um, you know, in some cases, people left for the right reason, great opportunity, you know, professional services wasn't for them. There were a lot of people who were leaving for what I called the wrong reasons. And that then started the journey to say, we have to decompose this uh, problem and turn it into an opportunity. Um, and the secret was, I was sort of the business uh, sort of leader, but I teamed with Karen McCall, who's our learning leader in PwC Canada. And that partnership is really what created, um, you know, the enormous success in the, in the program. And I always say to people, you know, that's really what you need to do. You cannot outsource the, the solving of gender and, uh, and broader equality issues without having the partnership between the business and DNI and learning. And that's really what we've done in Canada. So I'll pause there and I can get into, um, you know, how we actually did it. Because I think that's, that's the other very interesting element is, so why is this different? Well, I mean, that's, it is, it is a good, um, a good spot to pause, but I, I mean, I'm going to say, let's talk about that for a few minutes because it's a very different program. Um, when I worked at another organization, I, I got a chance to poke inside and see a number of, you know, whether they were gender specific or just diversity and inclusion programs. And the one at PwC is unique. It's, and it's also unique because you're a consulting firm. So it's, it's, I mean, in, in um, certainly conventional wisdom and in, in, in the way that uh, TV portrays consulting firms, it's all about chargeability. So, you know, who really cares if you've got gender or, or, um, or other equality issues happening? If you're chargeable, things are good. Um, but maybe you could talk a little bit about, about the uh, about how yeah. program and, and how it fits into a, you know, what is a powerhouse consulting firm at PwC? Yeah, and I think, so first of all, we're a multifaceted professional services firm. And I think that the, the crux of our business, like many other businesses, is we are driven by talent. And in the world that we live in, diversity of talent being backgrounds, experiences, is really how you're going to build a fit-for-purpose business into the future. And so the starting point of that is, since the world is sort of 50-50, is the gender uh, sort of equation really becomes the foundation of creating a, a high-performing people-driven organization. Um, but I think as we started the program, because this isn't a come into a room and we're going to teach you the theory of leadership. You know, I, I, that's definitely not what it is. So we actually sat back and we said, so whether it's right or wrong, we, we live in a male-dominated corporate environment. Um, and that has been created over the last couple of hundred years. And women have only really been, uh, you know, vibrant forces in the workforce for the last, you know, maybe 30, 40 years. So we started with, we cannot change that overnight, but um, we have to help people understand, one, the nature of the environment that is uh, naturally biased towards men. You know, male-driven businesses, make it a lot easier for men coming into an organization to get sponsorship and understand how to navigate. So the way we designed the program was, let's start with 
what we call insight, which is understand the nature of the environment. And then also you get into this really interesting element of how uh, men and women as gener general statements think differently. Um, and so our, our goal was education is power. So by raising and informing the participants in the program around this is how you actually navigate the reality of the work environment. You know, and one of the early aha moments for me was this very well-researched topic that says when guys have 60% of the experience and an opportunity comes up, they put up their hand and say, I'm ready. You know, the equivalent woman or even a, a stronger woman with 90% of the experience, her response would be, I think I need some more uh, time. So by exposing those realities, both from a gender lens as well as a, an organizational lens, we started that journey of, of empowering people with knowledge and education. Um, and then, then the next building block is really around the tools. So goal setting, resilience, what does work-life balance, work-life flexibility look like? Um, and it's done in a, in a modern learning environment, which is very uh, immersive and collaborative, which is really what learning experts came into to play. Then the third part of the, of the, of the program is around network. And the, not networking, although there is some networking in it, and this really decomposes the role uh, and importance of coaches, mentors, and sponsors. Um, and what we have found is sponsorship in particular is, is typically very misunderstood. Um, so we run a segment that is called earning sponsorship. Uh, which and our, our belief is you cannot um, assign sponsors because it's a very different type of relationship. But sponsorship is an absolute key to success. And, you know, additional research would say that women are over-mentored and under-sponsored. Um, and then the last part of the program is experience, which is as they go through the six-month journey, uh, they're building a personal plan. Um, and that personal plan then uh, includes asking for and finding uh, specific opportunities and experiences to make the whole thing come to life. So that sort of is the program. We do lots of interesting things with it, such as we role model um, folks from outside the firm um, to bring things to life. So as an example, when we talk about resilience, we've had either serving or veterans of the Canadian Armed Forces women who have come in and told their stories, which have been inspirational and massive impact on the participants over the last six or seven years. So that sort of is at a high level. But Travis, I, I always like to go to the, to the voice of a participant. And so Karen, who's from Rogers, uh, was a participant last year. So Karen, why don't you weigh in and, and share your experience having actually gone through this journey? Yeah, I'd I would love to hear that. Um, and maybe before, maybe before Karen, you talk about the program. I'm, I'm this. This is the most fascinating part of the program, uh, or one of the most for me. Is how does someone at a different company <laughs> end up in a PwC program? And then let's talk about the program because this is a real hallmark of, of I think your program. Yeah. So Travis, maybe I'll I'll give you the background. Okay. So we had run the program for a number of years. And we had won all sorts of awards, which was, which was great. 
Um, and three years ago, we actually sat back in the spirit of continual innovation. And we said, let's be careful that we don't start to believe our own marketing. And so what I wanted to do was to say, is the program as good as you think it is? Um, so we actually invited three uh, non-PWC participants. And these were organizations where they had helped us from the beginning by providing speakers and panelists. So I went to them and uh, so we had a bank, a, um, a tech company and, and a big law firm. And at the end of that, um, we were able, so we ran two cohorts. And what we found was one, the experience for the non-PWC folks was exactly the same, you know, huge accolades. But the other thing we found was by including non-PWC participants of similar, you know, top talent career, it actually made the program stronger because you move out of the echo chamber. Mm. Um, so that then, that we then took that and said, one, it makes the program stronger. So fully a third of the participants are now non-PWC, but the, which is great and it's good for the externals and it's good for us. But the other thing that we wanted to do, which is in line with sort of PWC's vision is we feel that we have come a long way to cracking this code. And we wanted to take a leaf out of Google's book and basically open source it. So we said, we're gonna share this because this is a very important uh, journey for Canada, not just for PwC. So we said, well, hey, there's value in it for us. So we don't, we don't sell it, the participants don't pay us. We just said, we're gonna share this because then organizations can take the learnings and use it however they want inside the organization. So that's that's how we came up with non-PWC people on the program. Well, it makes sense. Well, so so Karen, why don't you tell us a bit about your actual experience in the program? And obviously Phil designed it, but he doesn't go through it, um, especially uh, not being a woman. It's very difficult for him and me to experience it. So tell us a bit about it. Um, I'd love to hear your insights on it. I would say I was really honored to be among the two um, peers who from our organization were able to participate. Um, and I would say the vision and the mission of the WILL program really came to life for me in so many different ways. Um, I've been with the, my company for over 11 years in progressive leadership roles. And throughout the years, we would sort of have like a two day, um, you know, workshop or leadership training for, you know, a, a full week. Um, but then you go back to sort of your day-to-day -day work again. What was really impressive was this is a continuum of a six-month program um, where we only really met face-to-face -face a couple of times. Hmm. Uh, and so the value was really what you put into it and with the elements of both, you know, the tools, the resources. Um, I had a lot of time to really invest in a lot of reading, uh, self-learning, uh, self-awareness, things that um, I may not have been um, consciously thinking about, but it really raises um, uh, the, the understanding for me. So I got a lot of value from the program through um, meeting similar 
peers while they were in uh, a different industry, but the similar challenges of striking a balance between work and life in general. I'm a mother with two young children. So we would actually uh, attack some of those conversations. Also about, you know, yes, we are in leadership positions that are high potential, high performing, but at the same time, taking care of our mindfulness, uh, taking care of our health to balance going to the, the life work-life balance piece. That was really critical. And at the same time, a lot of great concepts were being brought forward that I was not truly uh, able to identify um, uh, or articulate was really brought to the fore for us to really discuss about earning sponsorships, critical of understanding having coaches and mentors in your life to really help shape um, you know, um, our, our, our careers. Those are really important. So going back to the six-month journey, a lot of the times is really about self-learning, meeting with my peers, groups, where we would discuss key issues or key situations that we are encountering in our work and being able to um, uh, collaborate and help one another. And, and then also being able to recognize and articulate what our leadership style was. I mean, we, talk, we think about leadership, but there's different forms of leadership. When do you actually use the different leadership styles that were being uh, discussed or was being practiced? And then in our two sort of face-to-face -face meetings, and these were like two-day um, intensive immersive workshops, um, it really starts with, you know, our, our health, like you would go there 7.30 a.m. optional for you to work out, you know, mental strength, and then spending a day um, working with different things, or maybe we read a, a book or two and being able to talk about it. And it was really what I would say deep learning versus browsing a book to say, yes, I've read it, I've listened to it, but really like attacking some of the topics and issues. So I found that extremely immersive and it was able to help me retain a lot that I would be able to apply. So, I mean, it's, well, it's interesting because like the program, it's funny you say that you only came together twice over six months and yet it has such a huge impact. Whereas I think we often, we think about this kind of development as it's like, oh, it's got, it's got to be, you know, 10 days in a row or some, some madness like that. But the value, um, you know, I think also as Phil talks about is the context in which it's delivered. I mean, it's, it's a group of women. Yes. Um, so presumably you get to have some conversations around your shared experiences. And um, I'm curious if you can, if you can talk a little bit about what you got from going through this experience in a, um, you know, in a, in a group in a cohort of super high potential women you know, well, maybe a lot of them were parents, I don't know, but just to, what, what was that like for you? Yeah, I mean, one of the best value and benefit we got out was to meet the other incredible group of 40 women, 30 to 40, I would say, and, um, and, and understanding, you know, uh, their life stages, where, what part of their career. Some of them were coming back from that leave and, and taking on a new role. Some of them are striving for a, a more progressive leadership role. Um, so understanding and, and in different industries. So we were deemed as friends of PwC um, amongst uh, the other ladies in the, um, in the firm. And so even though at first you would think about, oh, you know, we're so different, what we really, um, through the experience, were able to identify that we share very similar challenges, right, both career and life. 
um, and with different stages, we're able to really talk about it and share our struggles, our challenges, and being able to maybe learn from others who've gone through it, or perhaps offer a different perspective that we didn't even consider. So the definite uh, value of being able to network across the different uh, um, you know, women and in progressive roles have been extremely rewarding in that sense. And there's a lot of friendship that came out of it as well. So it's not all about just about our job or career. It's about being relatable. We, 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 we get to have fun. We get to learn about each other, what makes us excited waking up in the morning, what makes us, you know, uh, what we do after work. So it was a friendship that came out of it as well. So you've got some, you've got some good, uh, some good lifelong career friends. Yes. Which is amazing because I mean it could be it could be a lonely world when you're working in 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 a corporate setting, especially when you have young kids like you do. Because you're, I'm, I would imagine, you go to work, you know, take care of the kids in the morning, go to work, come home. It's like you don't have a lot of time to socialize, um, to build that network out. Yeah, Travis, yeah, I think that um, you know, so we have people from coast to coast coming in. So over six months, so they're three in-person sessions. I think as Karen was talking, what really makes it worthwhile is. Uh, the topics are sort of learned through self-study and then smaller uh, sort of action learning groups. When the group comes together, they have thought through what does this mean? So if we think of courageous leadership or authenticity, that when they come together, the real impact of it is that they, they get involved in deep conversations around what does that mean to you as an individual? Um, because otherwise these programs could become unaffordable if it is like, hey, you have to pull something out for six months. So we've been able to find what I think is a pretty good balance of, uh, you know, get people prepared and then pull them together. And those lifelong friendships since, and it's actually quite interesting because, you know, the first pilot that we did was actually seven years ago. And, you know, I'm still in, in uh, contact with a lot of the, the grads. And that first cohort, um, seven of the women have become lifelong friends. And it's fascinating hearing the impact of their stories where, because now they're, you know, some of them have left the firm and have gone on to sort of greater things. And they actually get together on a very regular basis and they call each other when they're making life and personal decisions. So I don't think that that long tail can be underestimated. Obviously, it's up to the individuals whether they decide to do that or not. But there's a lot of grassroots kind of you plant the seeds and then individuals take it and make it their own. And there's dozens and dozens of those kind of stories. Well, I would imagine when you put a, a group of, you know, driven, high performance, highly connected women together, they're going to, you, you plant the seed and they're going to make it grow into something beautiful, which is it, it's great to see. Um, so, you know, on that though, Karen, it sounds like there was a, um, a ton of opportunity for you to have conversations about, you know, realities in the workplace. And, you know, this is the Men at Work podcast. And so I'm interested, uh, you know, Phil talked about it early, earlier about this idea that this has been a male dominated corporate setting for so many decades and, you know, possibly into the hundreds of years here. And so at, at what point, if at all, do, does that conversation come up? And, and um, what, what, were the, what were some of the realizations that you had in, in discussing um, gender in particular? I think it was really important for us to recognize that while, you know, we are very determined, ambitious women, we certainly need to work together with our 
our peers, our, our leaders who are men, um, who are sitting in the room making a lot of critical decisions. And being able to have that earned sponsorship was a critical topic um, that was really enlightening for me to really understand. And I think I'll just take a moment to kind of um, parse out, like we certainly have talked about, like you have different coaches, you have mentors, and you have sponsorships, right? And all those roles can be played um, by a male. But what was critical for us, and I'll, I'll just maybe help uh, to distinguish what are the difference, and this is using Phil's analogy, a coach is someone who will help you perhaps with a certain skill set. Think about an athlete, maybe, you know, they want to dribble the ball better, and the coach will help to refine that. A mentor is someone who is able to maybe you can foresee in the future what you want to become. They've gone through the experience. They've earned that basketball championship and you want to be like them. But the sponsorship is someone like the Nike, someone who would actually fully invest in both capital as well as their own reputation to be inputting onto you. And I just that really stuck with me. Um, and that's been over a year, I would say, from, uh, from the course to really be able to distinguish that. The role that men can play and has played um, in my organization is the part of that earned sponsorship, being able to demonstrate, like you as a female leader, need to be able to demonstrate your capabilities, your competencies, but to have someone endorse you when you're not there. That has been really, really critical for the success and being able to recognize that it's yes you can do a lot on your own but you've got someone who will advocate for you that has gone a long way and that's something that i've learned tremendously it was well, interesting because it, you know phil phil mentioned the panel that um i hosted at, at the w north summit in toronto and i had uh i had tom turner on that panel from from rogers and it was a great discussion and part of it was, it's like, well, and it goes back to Phil's earlier comment, you've got this male dominated corporate setting. And so the co whole concept of sponsorship by definition is going to involve a conversation about gender. Yeah. And um, it is, you know, because men to dominate the higher ranks of most corporate organizations in, in North America, there's, there's, there's gotta be a way to open that conversation. And I guess what I'm really curious about is in the women in leadership program, you know, Phil talked about this, you know, action learning. How do you take a concept like sponsorship that's already tough and how do you make it real? Cause you, it sounds like you've taken it and, and turned it into action. I think the first piece was the fact that it exists and the, the awareness of what, what comes in play in an organization versus you would consider in, in, in your realities, why are you overlooked? Uh, for a role? Why is it that you have worked really hard, put in the hours, but yet been not considered for different opportunities? And being able to educate and share with my peers who are also leaders who are women and, and bringing that education to them um, to make them be aware. And so that can help drive the conversation. And if you want to really apply that in your work, it has to be in your calendar. So we're busy sort of managing a team, running the business, but how much time have we truly sat down for our own development? 
So, you know, we had to book it in our calendars. It's just putting it there, having that conversations with the different leaders, declaring what your goals are, your objectives are, and being made aware that you want to move to the next role and the next level. Um, and, and, and asking some really, I would say, self-defining questions of like, what does it take for me to go there? Uh, what am I missing? What are my blind spots? And being able to have those conversations, not only to people who you, you like, but other people that you want to maybe strive for that job in a different team to have those conversations. Because of these um, uh, support groups that I have, um, we were able to kind of keep ourselves accountable and say, well, did you actually book that meeting? Did you actually have that conversation? Did you really outline your objectives? And, and we were able to sort of help each other out. And I think, Travis, the, you know, because you're right, I mean, this is sort of men at work. Um, one of the things that we've been very thoughtful about is how do you find the right balance between giving an environment for these top talent women to have very open and in some cases functional conversations. But at the same time, we didn't want this to be, oh, this is something that women are dealing with. Because our fundamental belief is that this isn't a woman's issue. In fact, it's not actually an issue, it's an opportunity. And it's gonna be solved by good people, men and women coming together. So around the program, so first of all, each, well, each cohort um, has two executive sponsors, and that's a man and a woman. And then we, we make sure that everyone has a coach and a mentor, and that's a combination of men and women. So by going, by having this program, we do use it to, to educate people who are supporters, allies, um, through coaches, mentors, and then we do a number of um, sort of network gatherings where we invite a bunch of uh, you know, executives from all the participating organizations to be able to engage in the conversation. And I would say that is something that has had an enormous impact for us. Probably, uh, if I think back to when we started, I'm not sure that we fully planned it, um, but as we saw the impact, uh, this, this grassroots movement has, has been sort of uh, fired up with lots of people who are so important, who are are around the participants. So everyone knows now what the world program is, why it's important. And so many of our senior folks have either coached, mentored, and now are sponsoring the participants. And that's really, I think, where the story comes together, that men play an enormous role in this uh, by leaning in, to use the Sheryl Sandberg language, and actually saying, I believe in talent, and talent is men and women, um, and I think that's always the message because a lot of times when people start, they always like, I get the, why is Philip talking about a woman in leadership program? And I actually say, that's actually what you should have. If you do a woman in leadership program and you don't have male executives involved, you are actually reinforcing some of the challenges because you need to break those walls down and engage everyone. And then the last thing I'd say on that, Travis, is it's a complete misnomer when we talk about coaches, mentors, and sponsors that the only good sponsors of women are women. Because, you know, once again, there's a whole bunch of research that would say, um, first of all, and there's a great article called The Tallest Puppy Syndrome about senior mm. women keeping younger women down. But I actually look at it and say, you know what, there's a certain attribute of individual men and women who want to be sponsors and mentors and get engaged. 
And you need to open this up to all of them so that you can harness those great senior people who actually want to get involved. And I think that's been the other hallmark of this where we've, we've spent a lot of time finding that balance. Um, so it's not, a, it's not women helping women. This is actually the organizations helping top talented individuals put the, the wind behind their wings so that they can achieve their full potential. They just happen to be women because we've got a huge opportunity that we, you know, organizations are, have this untapped potential. And what we've been doing is, is uh, harnessing and unleashing that untapped potential. And the metrics now are proving that it's actually working because so increasing. Um, and our pipeline of future partners or ex executives in PwC, you know, has has been growing significantly because of the Women Leadership Program. So, you know, to me, when people say you can't solve this problem, it's like, well, you know, we, we beg to disagree because by putting effort and energy behind it, you can. And it's actually, it's not a problem. It's this massive opportunity. So that, that that's, that's where we are going with this. Hmm. So you found you found the right balance, um, you know. And I certainly, I you know, in my conversations on this podcast, you know, I've talked about the importance of giving, you know, whatever the diverse group is, giving them a space to have the conversation. But then there's there's that there's the next step, which is then, but we have to go out and and interact with a whole bunch of other people. And you know, on the gender one, it's like we give we give women a place to have a conversation about issues that they deal with that most men just do not deal with. But then there's the part afterwards, like, how do you integrate? And it sounds like that's a part that you seem to be hitting really well. And I'm, I'm curious, Karen, from your perspective, you know, obviously you talked about getting pushed by your, um, by your, your, uh, your great cohort of people to go and have the conversations, but how else do you take what you've picked up in women in leadership and then go and have that conversation out in a, you know, in a totally different context? Um, I would say on a couple of things. One is there's been a lot of great resources and tools that were provided to us through the program. Um, things where when at times of conflict that you want to drive collaboration, I've used the team health check. They have actually applied it um, in a different context where, you know, I'm going to have some difficult conversations. Um, there's a lot of friction that's happening at work. And how do we actually go and through in a calm manner to actually resolve problems? And I saw it firsthand, the magic it takes place to say, guess what? We think it's a resourcing differences or accountability issue. But the reality is the biggest issue was actually we were not aligned in our goals and being able to systematically put it into a framework and apply it that was incredible so because through the program I was able to leverage little like tools like those I then got more confident into your point having the um, more difficult conversations with different leaders and being able to advocate, um, you know, uh, what uh, what I wanted to do or what uh, what needs to be done for the business, it's really bringing in some of our executive sponsors to say this is what we need to change the culture of the organization. It's not me as an individual or or a small group of us. It's really changing and having that opportunity in a different platform. And I think it's because we were able to go through and. 
um, people around us were able to see a noticeable difference in the way we were approaching it or being more strategic or more leadership styles were shifting. They saw that through this program, we were able to kind of have different conversations that we were going to bring it all the way up to different leaderships, uh, management to the very top on how great and how this will how, um, allow us to, to have the different conversations. So they saw a change in us before we actually realize it ourselves. I, I suppose that's often the case. People start to, <laughs> start, to start to pick it up and, and uh, they start to notice. And, and it sounds like even in, you know, this, you're, you're taking part in a, in a PwC program, but obviously, you know, I had Tom Turner uh, on a panel. Um, I had another colleague of yours on the panel as well at Rogers. It sounds like you're doing a lot to try to change culture around this, this issue. Um, so what, what kinds of things are you noticing as you've had more people go through the program and just having this, um, having this whole idea that, that diverse talent really is going to be the future? How, what, what are you seeing in your workplace? Well, I, I'm seeing a lot of people reaching out to me in terms of, Karen, I've heard you talk about the WILL program. How do I get involved? Uh, what can I learn? And more importantly, I think a lot of the content, um, PwC has been great in allowing us to share some of the resources and tools. So, I mean, I'm happy to, you know, like I learn being involved in the program, but more importantly is really teaching and sharing what I've learned to a larger group so that there's a, a greater benefit, right? It's not just for me. Um, so lots of people have come forward to myself, my peer, who's gone through the program. We've got a lot, um, a few more people that are currently going through the program right now. So I think it's really about implications, right? The more that you can build and broadcast out um, and, and teach what you've learned, uh, the greater and the faster the change in our culture. Um, and we certainly would love to kind of push to kind of like, how do we do this at scale, right? Uh, and and uh, Phil and his team has been able to provide us with a lot of guidance and support. Um, yeah, should we proceed? And so, Travis, I'll, I'll sort of give a little bit of a perspective of what we've seen. So, you know, at the start of this, we talk about um, we, we, want to, we want to inspire folks to, to create uh, what their authentic leadership style looks like. You know, and, and through the design of the program, we talk about the topics and then we role model different folks. And it's really around take the threads that resonate with you and create the fabric of who you want to be as a lead. And I think that's very important because, you know, if you think back to the stereotype of the 70s and 80s, you know, it was a lot of, not all of them, but a lot of female leaders who succeeded in that time zone they did so by mastering all the male attributes of you know, being super aggressive. Um, and that's not what we want. We want people to be, who are you and how do you actually operate? So be authentic. But, and then so we talk about be authentic, be courageous, and ask for what you are worth. You know, and that's had a very interesting ramification because now we have all of these individuals who have gone through the program and they coaching others. And now they start to push back. It's like, I think I'm ready for that role or, you know, somebody gets promoted and it's like, hey, thank you, that's great, but I don't think you compensated me for what I'm worth. Um, and I think that that environment of having a culture of openness and positive informed dialogue has been wildly successful for us. Doesn't mean that everyone always gets what they ask for, 
but we know that in the past, women would leave if they felt that they weren't being appropriately recognized or rewarded. We don't want that. Now, by being authentic and courageous, they are actually starting to have those conversations. And those conversations typically lead to much more informed decision-making by all involved individuals. And that, to me, is... Um, where the magic really starts to come because the participants in the program are now becoming catalysts for change by educating the organization. And I do look at it and I think most of the challenges are because of unconscious bias. And the way you solve unconscious bias is through dialogue and conversation. And that's how learning. No question that there is some conscious bias and that's a much harder thing to deal with. Uh, which is probably another another whole sort of uh, podcast discussion. But I think that's <laughs> yeah. what we've really seen happening is, you know, these participants, and you, you heard Kendall talking with Tom, um, you know, that's really what they're doing is they're becoming vocal and they're supporting the next generation coming up behind them. So it's like we've sparked this, uh, it's almost like a cultural revolution and no one is going to stop it, which is great. Well, I think that it's, it's a, gr a good point that you bring, though, about the authenticity piece and, and finding a voice. What I love about it is that it's finding a voice that's, that's their own. So using that voice, but it's, it's a voice that doesn't just sound like in the last couple hundred years of corporate leadership, which, as you talked about, is hyperaggression. It's a voice that's unique. Um, it's a voice, you know, and, and for, for a lot of women, it's like, oh, I can actually use the voice that I want to use as opposed to the one that I think is going to get me to the top because all my world models are, you know, super closed off men with, you know, no emotional connection and happy to be aggressive all the time. So, <laughs> so it's, uh, it's really, it really is um, good to see. I'm, I'm curious though, you know, Karen, you talked about hitting scale. Now, obviously, you know, PwC is a huge organization. Rogers is a huge, or, huge organization. And even there, it's hard to hit scale. I've talked to, I worked with a, a, a large investment, um, investment banking company in the States who has a great women leadership program. They were having a very hard time hitting scale. So apart, like, how do you take the Google, as you said, take a, take a page out of Google's book, and how do you make this thing more open source and, and more scalable? I'm, I'm really curious about that. I think it's a journey, right? I don't think we're there yet. Um, I think we're learning and we're, we're able to um, bring some of the best practices that we've seen and some of the success and sprinkle it through the organization. But I think the most important thing is really identifying a catalyst, right? An advocate, a group that can then help to champion it. Um, and, and Kendall and I are absolutely big fans of the Will program to which, you know, we want to bring more awareness and we're happy to sort of continue to voice um, that it, this is needed in a large corporation on, on, on having this as a priority. And the good news is our, our most senior leadership team believes, right, inclusion and diversity is the hallmark to success. It's really about investing in the people who, who are the leaders and future leaders in order to shape and change the success from a business and an economic standpoint. So we're starting to initiate a lot of those conversation and branching to different parts of the organization because this is really coming from a, a one unit. And as you know, Roger is such a large um, corporation. So we're just sort of bringing it out there and, and, and being able to share our journey and our success 
and uh, we're hoping to get more champions and we're beginning to do that. We're beginning to see that and, and, and continuing to say, hey, we've had this conversation, what are the next steps and kind of pushing it along. But we certainly aren't there yet and uh, we're continuing to strive for it. And Travis, I think the, you know, if I take the PwC experience, so there's no question you have to um, earn the right to, to do a program like this and you earn the right by showing the impact. But the other thing is, you know, five years goes by pretty quickly and it's all around start somewhere. You know, so year one, we did the pilot, which was quite very different and it's where we learned a lot. So we had 15 people. That then uh, was to design what is now the framework for the program. And then the second year we had 30 people. And then based on the results of that, we doubled it and we had years. And then last year, we, we added an additional and we're doing 90 people a year. So you, you, you keep running that kind of a formula and recognizing that this is mid-career top talent. You know, and that's why I say when we look at our metrics, because we've now been doing it for a few years, the, the impact is absolutely uh, irrefutable. Uh, this year, we had 14 uh, women make partner at PwC who are graduates of the World Program. You know, and every year moving forward, and it's obviously not everyone who's on the World Program makes partner, and not everyone who makes partner would have been on the World Program. But the numbers are starting to show that's how you scale. You know, and, and what I find is a lot of times people like to spend time talking around the nature of the challenge. And, you know, it's great that organizations come up with the surveys that say at this course and speed, you know, it's going to take another 100 or 200 years. Um, and my view is we don't need to research it anymore. It's been researched to death. What you actually need to do is stop researching and start doing. And the best way to scale is to start. Um, and that's how we were able to do it. And, you know, because it's not like, hey, Philip, that's a great idea. Here's carte blanche, spend whatever you want. It wasn't that at all. Uh, we actually used that approach and we built it up and the results and the impact is how we kept getting, you know, additional uh, funding and support to make it happen. And now, um, you know, it would, it would take a very brave person to suggest that we stop investing in this program because it's a locomotive that is, that is gaining momentum and is having such a positive impact. So there's, that's how you get to scale. It's a it's a really good insight, uh, Phil. Too that that I you know that idea about if we just if we spend all of our time talking about circumstance, um, you know, it's important to understand the circumstance, but way more important is okay, what do we do next? Like what's what's the action that has to happen? What's the commitment around it? Um, so when you when you look out at the Women in Leadership program, I mean, you're scaling it in in numbers. Um, what what kinds of like you said uh, one of the things i know you're known for is relentlessly getting feedback on this program so what are you seeing emerging as as you know new issues that women are facing in the program or things that you haven't had to deal with before or, or what's coming i guess is is maybe the more important question yeah so i mean i think the you know if i look out uh, what we would like to see is that as the friends of PwC participate, 
we would like to see those organizations taking the pieces that make sense for them and then driving scale because that's how we, we we harness the opportunity for Canada. But every year we do a complete review and we get feedback from all the involved parties and we evolve it. Um, and I would say the, the two things that um, we continue to focus on, one I mentioned is unconscious bias. Um, and, you know, I know there's been a lot of work done with trying to bring people together and then educate them around unconscious bias. I think bias by its very nature is so hardwired that um, you, you actually have to be uh, persistent in bringing it to life. And I would say all organizations have work to do in, uh, in helping evolve that. The other thing that, that we have seen, and I would say this is probably more from a research perspective, but we have seen some of it as we engage in these very open conversations is uh, the Me Too movement has had um, an unintended consequence. You know, in the, and I think it was last year there was a, a research paper that was put together that said, you know, women have always been uh, over-mentored and under-sponsored. And then with the Me Too movement, there was direct feedback from senior male executives, and this was a North American study, where they said they are uncomfortable, uh, you know, uh, sponsoring or mentoring younger women. Uh, you know, and on one part of me says, it's the most ridiculous thing I've heard, but you have to recognize it. So what we now do is, engage in open conversations about that and saying we cannot let uh, the behavior of a very microscopic portion of the population uh, slow us down in what we are trying to do. And I think by engaging in this kind of conversation, you, the good men uh, definitely step into it and say, just because someone in Hollywood did something that was terrible, is this isn't going to change my role as a leader. And your role as a leader is to support the next generation of leaders so that when you leave, you know, you have strong succession and people who are even better than you were coming into it. So that's the dialogue that we try and have. Um, and I think it's been helpful because pretending it doesn't exist is even worse. Um, so I would say those are probably the two items that, we are spending additional effort and energy on, but the, the answer isn't as, as straightforward. So the, the other, well, the other part of that, Phil, the other, the other, and it's not, I don't know if it's, if it's me too specifically, but you know, as, as we're, we're making bigger and bigger efforts in this area, there's, there's also been, you know, fear and misunderstanding on the part of, of men around, well, what does this mean? Right. I mean, it's, you know, it's just like a changing of the guard. And I'm curious how it sounds like you've had some really productive dialogues, um, you know, in a, in a gender neutral space and potentially, you know, just with men. But it feels like that might be another frontier to explore is how do we enroll, enroll men in the conversation so that it feels like we as opposed to us and them? Yeah, and so I would say in the early days, we definitely got that pushback, which is, you know, is because you get into, is this affirmative action, is it quotas, which it's definitely none of those things. I think, you know, my personal view is, I think those are very slippery paths. 
So, so we didn't want it to be seen like, hey, this is a great time to be a woman and you're going to include guys or done. Uh, because that's also, I look at it and say, it's somewhat of a ridiculous uh, commentary for people to think that. This, I go back to, this is around talent and it's around diversity of approaches and skills and background. And if you want to build a business that is going to thrive as we continue in this journey of innovation and disruption, that's what you have to do. Um, but that's why we involve men right from the very beginning so that they understood that this is around talent and it's a very positive thing. And by the way, we have actually proven that by doing this, it's not quotas and it's not reducing standards. It's actually doing the opposite. Because when I look at the, the, the women who have stayed and are, and are joining our partner ranks, they are superstars. And people look at them and say, wow, can we, how do we uh, attract and retain more people like that? And it's like, and then the guys look at that and say, yeah, I want to be part of a high performing team. And these individuals are the absolute embodiment of high performing team players. I want to work with more of them. And I think that's how we are. We are cracking the code. You know, 20 years from now, should the women in leadership program still be in existence? I mean, idealistically, I would say it should be a uh, mid-career leadership program with men and women coming together. But I think until the numbers prove that, I think organizations need to stay the course and say, hey, we, we need to do this to, uh, to overcome our legacies. And you know what we are doing is working. So let's let's stay the course. Well, and I mean, and maybe it's not going to be. Maybe in twenty years, it, it hopefully, hopefully, it won't. Maybe it won't be in your industry, right? But there's others. I mean, I've had people on this podcast from the construction industry when you know they're striving to get to five percent uh, women in in the workforce. So that you know, there's there's lots of other places where this could could apply, and you know, in different settings. But I think the the point is well taken that it is it, it isn't it is working it might not be heading scale yet but it's working let's keep doing it let's find a way to scale it and um you know keep keep focusing on action as opposed to circumstance um i'm i'm curious uh as another perspective as well karen are you you know phil's talking about conversations inside pwc but also you know obviously he's plugged in all over the place are you are you finding that your conversations with your male colleagues are, are changing as well, you know, post, post Me Too movement, or has it largely been um, uh, unchanged? Yeah, I think that um, it may be sort of subconscious. It's certainly not as visible in our industry. And given telco, I mean, we're predominantly male-centric to begin with, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so there, there, that's always been the place. Um, but we, I, I don't necessarily see it being a topic of contentions or concern um, in our area as much. It's good. I think Phil's point is, is well taken. Like it was a, a lot of it was the study came out or the, you know, the research summary. And it's like, oh, now we've got this other huge problem. And part of it is like, wait a second, is it? Or do we just need to go, okay, that's it. A select knowledge that yeah doing some doing some terrible terrible things all, but i think you know for men as well to acknowledge like for the for the you know better part of uh our history in especially in in corporate history we have been at the top of the heat and so yeah. how do you then and it, and it hasn't been working super well 
I, I would create. Go ahead. Yeah. I would add that uh, like there's a zero tolerance policy here. So if there's something does show that there is misconduct, it, it actually gets addressed uh, publicly as well. Um, and so that really signals quite a bit uh, in terms of the acceptance and, and zero tolerance. Yeah, no, it's, it's, and it's, it's wonderful to have those policies in place. So uh, as, a, um, <laughs> as, as a graduate of the program now, Karen, um, how, like, what are you seeing as, how, how do you think you can scale this outside of, of PwC? You know, Phil's talked about enrolling more people like you and getting the uh, friends of PwC involved a bit more, but how, how do you see scale happening? I think for, for me, like it's really three key takeaways um, that I would share with anyone who wants to think about it or wants to uh, continue to strive is continue to network. Networking is critical, you know, get to know a lot of people outside your industry, um, learn from others. So um, the, the ability for me to um, network and get to know different industries has been tremendous. The second piece is really about mentorship, right? Continue to establish those mentorship opportunities uh, to get be coached, uh, to learn from things and, and, and build new relationships because you never know in the future where that may take you, right? Um, and the, I think the, a third piece is really continuous learning. I mean, I, I was exposed to a lot of resources and tools and content that I didn't necessarily know uh, continue to bridge and learn I mean that's really important for you to continue to grow as a person as a professional so those are my three key takeaways that I share and encourage in order for us to kind of scale it out thank you for that um, so Phil I know you've got uh, you've probably got your top three potentially but but maybe before we jump into your your final words about the program and where it's going next and what we can expect to see I'd love to know uh, what guidance you've got for um, for men out there? I mean, obviously you're you're a man who's leading the charge uh, at PwC and and well beyond. You've received many accolades and awards for your work around um, gender equality. So, what guidance and suggestions do you have for for men out there that are struggling or even just thinking about how do I get involved in creating workplaces people actually want to work in? Yeah, I mean it's a it's a very interesting one because. Um, you know, I think you learn an enormous amount by uh, participating in these kind of open, honest conversations. Um, you know, and I think like the, the point around, yes, you need HR policies in place, but human relationships work on a spectrum and policies are there to deal with the outer edges of the inappropriate behavior. Everything in the middle is, you know, how do you drive uh, interaction and understanding? And it's through dialogue and debate and something, a little bit of, uh, you know, disagreement. Um, you know, so what I have found is I've learned an enormous amount by being sort of uh, involved in the program and having the, the fortunate situation to be able to listen and learn and, engage with a lot of these these uh, incredible women. And there's no question that it's actually changed a lot of the leadership styles or techniques that I would use. doesn't mean that I've totally changed, uh, but I've, I've, because of getting that insight of just how differently women sometimes think about situations, and it's not a good or bad, it's just it's given me enormous insight that you know, then you take that and say, how are you going to change as an individual? And I think that's how this starts. So you learn a lot. Um, 
and and so I encourage all men, and that's why we've included so many people in, in as part of this program, um, because that's how you actually learn. You learn through dialogue. Um, and ultimately, why does this matter? It matters because we have to have organizations and teams that have diverse talent. And I look at talent on leadership approaches. So we do know that women bring a much deeper empathetic style, which is so important in the world that we're living in. And then you build upon that with different backgrounds and skills and experiences. And once you create a team like that, that's actually how you harvest or master disruption. And that's the world that we live in, irrespective of what industry you're in. Every single industry we know is being disrupted. So how are you going to master that? If you bring everyone who thinks and operates like me, guess what? You're going out of business. But if you start to uh, stitch together this team of generations and gender and science and art and creativity, that's, and then you say, and now I can master bringing that team together. And I always say the best way to start is to deal with the gender that is underrepresented and that's women. So to all the guys, start doing that. Take that first step, be thoughtful about it. And you as a guy will learn so much about it. Uh, yeah, so that's my little soapbox story. I love that. I love, that's, that sounds like a, a, a great mic drop moment there for you, Phil. Um, but before we do drop this microphone and wrap the podcast, I would love to know um, where can people listening to this show go to find out more about um, PWC's program, uh, Women in Leadership, um, more and, and you know just just find out more. I know it's not a publicly available program, but just if they want to read about it and, and learn more about it and maybe try to replicate it in their organizations. Yeah. So uh, on on our diversity and inclusion segment of the PwC uh, website, there's a lot of information about this, including um, a small YouTube video that talks about the program and the design of it. Um, you know, and and I always say to people. We share the design because the content uh, is, there's lots of content that is available on all the topics that we cover. So there's no uh, secret source here outside of, I think the design is spot on of the four elements and then the commitment. And if you, so, hey, there's the design, take it, it works. If you are committed to doing it, then you can assemble the, the, the content around all of these topics. And Karen talked about ongoing and continual learning. Um, but that that's, we intentionally did that in terms of sharing here's how the program works and the, and the kind of content that is covered. So yeah, people are welcome to, uh, to, to use it and, uh, and, and take it for, for their own personal uses. The o open source women in leadership program. So I'll make sure I link up all that on the show notes. Um, and just in, in closing, I, I'd like to say thank you, uh, Phil and, and Karen. Thank you for your time and more importantly for your commitment to trying to do something about the circumstance we're in as opposed to just talking about the circumstance. I genuinely appreciate that and I know that my listeners are going to get a ton out of the show and, and I hope that they, they either come find you or find the program and that they do something.
there we have it. Episode 20 is in the can. Thanks for listening. And if you want to have any more information about the program that Phil and Karen talked about, it'll be linked up in the show notes, or you can go to the PwC Diversity and Inclusion webpage and look for it yourself if you're extra keen and don't want to look at the show notes. If you have any feedback on the show, if you loved it, if you didn't, you can always leave feedback on my website, which is at travisstreb.com. If you want to make it a bit more public, you can leave me a great review on iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher or anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for episode 21 coming at you next.